2: Crazy World, the podcast that tackles tough topics to help you be a godly parent in an ungodly world. I am your host, Katherine Seegers, and in today's episode, we will tackle this intriguing question. How is the virtue of equality impossible without the Christian worldview? Mm, Yeah, something in the human soul cries out for equality, doesn't it? It is certainly a virtue that our culture lauds and espouses. Where does this idea of equality come from and how do we get there? Can we arrive at the concept of equality from a naturalistic or humanistic worldview? Well, my special guest today will help unpack the necessary foundation for equality. Spoiler alert, it is the Christian worldview and the Christian faith that gets us there. Today, you will find out how. That's the plan for this episode of Christian Parent Crazy
0: World. So let's get started. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day, with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or, what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, The Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold.
2: Hit that subscribe button, everybody, on whatever app you're listening on. That's really going to help the show out. And please consider giving us a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That really helps to get the word out, too. Now, if you didn't hear last week's episode with Dr. Groteis on cancel culture, be sure to go back and check that one out. It was so fun. Fascinating. I love that conversation. Dr. Groteis traced cancel culture back to its progressive, woke, neo-Marxist, Marxist roots all the way back, pinpointing each and every little dot on the line for a really awesome overview of how we got to the place we are in in our culture today, where you can be canceled for a perceived slight against someone else that was never intended to be offensive or racist or misogynistic or bigoted in any way. And yet that infraction can derail someone's Life like Morgan Bettinger's life, a young college student who was falsely accused of being a racist and had her name drugged through the mud, and her plans to attend law school blew up in smoke. Her life completely derailed, all because of a false accusation. At a BLM protest. If you think that can't happen to you or your kids, think again. We dug into her story in the last episode and Dr. Grotice expertly navigated how we have gotten to this place in our culture. So you don't want to miss that episode. This week, Dr. Grotice has graciously stuck around to unpack the concept of equality for us, where it comes from. The necessary foundation for equality is a huge argument in favor of the Christian faith and the Christian worldview. Quick recap on Dr. Grotice's credentials before we dive in. He is the author of dozens of books and scholarly articles. He has a Ph.D. in philosophy from the University of Oregon and has served as a professor of philosophy and the head of the apologetics and ethics program At Denver Seminary since 1993, and he is looking forward to a new chapter as the Distinguished University Research Professor of Apologetics and Christian Worldview at Cornerstone University in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Today, we are continuing to discuss one of his latest books, Fire in the Streets, how you can confidently respond to incendiary cultural topics phenomenal book. I highly recommend that you pick up a copy. And with that, let's jump right in. Dr. Groteis, welcome back to the show. It's so nice to have you back.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
2: Yeah, I'm so excited to talk to you today about how the Christian worldview is really the only worldview that offers the seeds and the good soil to produce any kind of solid foundation for morality and for virtues like Equality. This is the topic that you explore in Chapter Eight of your latest book, Fire in the Streets: How You Can Confidently Respond to Incendiary Cultural Topics. That chapter is titled A Christian Framework, and it's one of my favorites, probably in my top two in the whole book. I love this chapter. So speak to us about how the Christian worldview differs from other worldviews, especially, uh, you know, atheistic and humanistic, naturalistic worldviews in terms of the kind of values that these ideologies produce.
1: Yes, I'd be happy to. I've spent really, in a lot of ways, my whole adult life trying to explain and defend and apply a christian perspective on life i have a very large textbook called christian apologetics a comprehensive case for biblical faith but what i wanted to do in this chapter is to say that we've looked at various views of society and race and equality and so on and i found the critical race theory perspective to be wrong and dangerous and very unhealthy for america for any society so what's the alternative And we're concerned about things like equality, the nature of human beings, human rights, how just can a society be in a fallen, broken world, and so on. So my perspective is that we need a foundation of truth. And Jesus said, if you're truly my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He said that in John 8. So I give a brief apologetic in that chapter. I start out by talking about the very idea of truth, because critical race theory really says that truth is determined by oppressed minorities. And that's not the case. A true statement is one that corresponds to reality. That's the correspondence view of truth. It's really the commonsensical view of truth. It's what Paul assumes in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our faith is in vain and we're misleading people. So he's saying in First Corinthians 15, Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead in history. The tomb was empty. He appeared to many people over a period of time. And if he didn't, all our religious feelings and all of our religious activities are pointless. So there's this idea with a lot of people now that if you're passionate about something, if you have a social movement, if you have grievances against the system, then your view is just automatically true and needs to be followed. And that's not the way it works. You know, your movement, your perspective is only as good as it's true and as it can be defended. So we need to start out with truth. I'm not just saying, well, we Christians want a seat at the table. You have your viewpoints. We have our viewpoints. Nobody can say what's really true or false, right or wrong. No, I'm saying the Christian worldview corresponds to reality. And there's good reason to believe it's the case. And the two basic arguments I make are, first of all, that Science, in fact, confirms the fact that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And I appeal quite a bit to Stephen Meyer's excellent book, *Turn of the God Hypothesis. And he's... Love him. Yeah, he's our best... He is. ...philosopher of science, showing that things like Big Bang cosmology, right. the fine-tuning argument, and other things really point to a creator who designed us, that naturalism, the worldview that There is no God and we have to explain everything according to impersonal nature is not just a non-Christian worldview. It's an illogical worldview unsupported by the scientific evidence. Mm -hmm. So, gosh, I've got 250 pages on that in my Christian apologetics book. I think I've got four pages on it in this book. But then I go from there is a God, there is a creator and a designer to the biblical view of the human being is very profound. Because we don't only say that we're designed and created by God, but that we are very special creatures in the world because we are made in the divine image. God says after the first six days of creation, uh, or after the first five, that he created human beings in his image and likeness and gave them dominion over creation. But then we know from uh, Genesis 3 that human beings rebelled against God and we were expelled, Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. And so death came upon the world. The world is under a curse. So human beings still retain our uniqueness and our greatness, but we are all self-centered, sinful, broken people, and people really under the, the wrath of God. So we need to be delivered from that through the work of Jesus Christ. But the Christian view of the universe, that we're in a designed, meaningful world, is essential for civil government, because otherwise civil government will claim to bring order and meaning and reality without any sense of a higher reality. And then the idea that we're made in the image and likeness of God, but also fallen, I think was the vision of the founders, because they didn't want to give the civil government too much power. They didn't want us to have kings and queens, for one thing. And Moreover, you see things like the separation of powers into the three branches of government. Yes, which most Americans cannot name. By the way, oh, we are so ignorant about these things. Mm-hmm. And then the deeper question would be, not just name the three branches, right? You know, the legislative and the judicial. But why do we have three? I don't think probably one in twenty-five people could answer that.
2: Oh, and, I teach you know, my kids. <laughs> good for you.
1: Well, they're they're. Better informed and smarter than most adults in our culture, I'm sure. Well, the reason is that you don't want to concentrate power so there right. would be tyranny. The American Revolution was not a revolution against all history and all authority, the way the French Revolution was. It was a revolution against unjust authority, it was against tyranny of the British. And it was not based on we are going to recreate human nature through revolution. That's the French Revolution mentality. That's the Marxist mentality.
2: Yes, seventeen eighty nine.
1: Yeah, we want seventeen seventy six, not seventeen. Amen.
2: I know. And you quote yeah. Oz Guinness so much yeah. in this book, and that is what he has been right. so big on is the difference between those two revolutions.
1: Right. Have you interviewed Oz?
2: I have not, but I would love to. That would be oh, a dream yeah. interview.
1: Yeah. Well, I will put in a good word for you.
2: Thank oh, you. I thank you. Thank you. Yeah. That would be huge. Yeah. I would love to interview Oz Guinness. That would be a dream come true.
1: Great. Yeah. So the Christian view, I don't think is merely the best vision for society. I think it's true. It corresponds to reality. That's why it's the best vision of society. So we see that human beings have intrinsic value, whatever their color are. And biblically, there's one human race. It's the human race. Right. It's not uh, this race and that race. The Bible doesn't even say much of anything about skin color. What it's concerned about is individuals and nations following God, not what your particular skin color is. And there's a lot in scripture about speaking up for those who have been mistreated and the marginalized.
2: Right. Them. That's what Os Guinness talks about too is that the original justice warriors were the Old Testament prophets.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
2: yeah, and and can I just add one thing in here when you were talking about the three uh, branches of government, the uh, executive, the legislative, and the judicial. Many people say that the idea behind those was the triune nature of God. We've got the executive God as a king. We've got the legislative, he is a lawgiver, and we have the judicial because God is a judge. That's very Mm. biblical, these three branches of government. That's what I've taught my kids. Mm. That's kind of the derivative because our founding fathers were (laughs) well-versed in the Christian worldview, and they brought that to bear when they were forming a government that was unlike any other government that had existed since the dawn of man. And when we talk about American exceptionalism, and it's not that Americans are in any way superior to another people group, but rather the ideas that formed our government are unique in the history of human beings and those three branches of government bring that to bear and they're supposed to be separate but equal unfortunately Mm -hmm. they're not operating that way and i think we have a a fourth branch of government now with unappointed (laughs) advocate groups but anyways that's another topic anyways keep going about the Mm -hmm. that god is intently concerned about justice
0: Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by bestselling author Katie Clemens. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today wherever books are sold.
1: What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Right, right. And there's one standard of justice. It's the law of God. It's not one standard for one group or one standard for another group. And we have this. Really, in the Declaration, uh, that all men are created equal and are given certain inalienable rights, among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And pursuit of happiness really means virtue. When we think of happiness today, we basically means mean the satisfaction of erotic desires. Yes, (laughs) not what the founders had in mind. No, for them, happiness really was more the Hebrew idea of shalom, or maybe the Greek idea of eudaimonia, was a virtuous life lived well together with others it was not just, it was not hedonism by any means. So there's so much to conserve in the founding ideals and realize that America was set up to be a self-reforming republic. Yes. So for example, we have the amendments to the constitution. The constitution is quite brilliant and important, but not divinely inspired. So the founders realized that we need to have amendments to the constitution. And there's some amendments that are then Annulled by other amendments. You know, there's an amendment to ban alcohol, and then there's an amendment later to take away that amendment. Right. So it's a messy situation, but it's far better than any kind of authoritarianism or monarchy or any really any other form of government. There's so much within the American form of government uh, mm-hmm. that can be conserved and built upon. And what one of the things that concern me terribly about the riots of 2020 and critical race theory in general, wokeism, is the idea that America is from the beginning utterly corrupt. That's the claim of the 1619 Project. It's actually based on slavery. And so we need to undo it and replace it with a kind of woke socialism. I think that's just completely wrongheaded. There's a lot of things in American history that were wrong. But as I said, we, at our best, can be a self-reforming society you reform on the basis of what's there, not try to destroy everything and start from scratch, which is the Mm. French Revolution idea or the Marxist idea. And people need to be educated. What is the Christian worldview? Why do we believe it? Why does it give us the basic fundamentals for society, the fear of God, the uniqueness of human beings, the equality of human beings, and also the doctrine of original sin, which says that we should never try to bring heaven to earth. Jesus will bring heaven to earth when he comes again to make all things right at the eschaton. But every attempt to create heaven on earth through political revolution has just brought hell to earth. Through the Bolsheviks revolution, the Maoist revolution, Pol Pot, even Cuba, so on. So a Christian vision for society is conservative in the sense that we do not expect human beings to be regenerated through politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's much more to a good society than politics. Uh, we have to be godly people in our families, and we need to work for a godly culture. And we realize that while just laws are very important and unjust laws are terrible, that you cannot get to the deepest level of the human being through legislation. We need to put boundaries in place with laws and have a, try to have a relatively just society. But the deepest change in an individual comes at the internal level of the heart and ultimately by converting, by coming to Christ as Lord.
2: Yeah, I love that you mentioned just a bit ago a portion of our Declaration of Independence, and then you put on page 164, you quote the United Nations Declaration on Human Rights, which affirms the virtue of our ethic of equality. And this is what they say, quote, all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood, end quote, which is a good quote, I guess. But, you know, I can't help but note that this statement omits a critically important aspect of where dignity and equality and freedom come from, doesn't it? I mean, the U.N. says that we are endowed with reason and conscience and should therefore act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. But we're endowed by whom? Who endows us with reason and conscience? The evolutionary gods, chance, uh, beneficial mutations of Darwinian evolution. I mean, how do we end up here when you compare that to what you just quoted a minute ago from our Declaration of Independence, which says that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights that among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So how has the UN come to the conclusion that human beings should be free and equal and that we should act towards one another with a spirit of brotherhood without that overarching worldview of having a God that endows us? Yeah, Because you can't really arrive there without the God to endow us with those inalienable rights, with that human dignity, with that worth, right. can you?
1: Well, no, you can't. You have to ask, well, if we're endowed, then who endowed us? And yes. it, can't, it can't be impersonal nature or some impersonal, undesigned evolutionary process. Right. You know, you can't just put something under a microscope and say, oh, there, we're endowed with freedom <laughs> and dignity. I see it under the microscope. Now, these are moral, spiritual truths. Yes. Now, some people will admit this. I quote this.
2: I've got that quote right here. Yeah.
1: You want to read it? I think you read quotes better than I do.
2: (laughs) Are you talking about the one Harari? um, Yeah. 165. Yes. Yes. I was going to get to that. Actually, you say, actually, I think it's right before the quote or after it. I wanted to quote this and then I'll read his. You okay. say that survival of the fittest, this is on page 164, you say survival of the fittest is the best we can do to ground equality and freedom and dignity for all human beings. We must appeal to something other than physical characteristics or social convention. And then you go on just on the next page, 165, you quote Yuval Noah Harari from his bestselling book, Sapiens. This quote just blew my mind. I thought it was one of the best quotes that you had in the book. Harari admits that on his naturalistic evolutionary account of homo sapiens, or human beings, he cannot ground a concept, this is you speaking, of universal justice for all people. Harari writes clearly what many refuse to admit. And this is what he says, quote, the Americans got the idea of equality from Christianity, which argues that every person has a divinely created soul and that all souls are equal before God. However, if we do not believe in the Christian myths about God, creation and souls, what does it mean that all people are created equal? Evolution is based on difference, not equality. Every person carries a somewhat different genetic code and is exposed from birth to different environmental influences. This leads to the development of different qualities that carry with them different chances of survival. Created equal should therefore be translated into evolved differently. That was such a radical admission, I thought, on his part, that you cannot arrive at the idea of equality from a naturalistic, humanistic, evolutionary point of view, can you?
1: No, you can't. By no means, and he's honest enough to admit it. Yeah, a lot of non Christians live on what could be called borrowed capital, or maybe stolen capital.
2: Uh huh. That's what
1: Francis Schaeffer called worldview cheating.
2: Yes, and I've Harari, talked about that before. Yeah, yeah.
1: Harari is honest enough to say, yeah, this idea of equality is based on a worldview that you cannot hold as an atheist. And uh, before him, Frederick Nietzsche was very similar. He said, if God is dead, then objective morality is dead. Human mm-hmm. Uniqueness is dead. And let's just be honest about
2: it. Yeah. I mean, how do you arrive there? Because how can I say that Hitler's ethic and doing whatever he can to advance the Aryan race is wrong? Why would that be wrong if we're living like the animal kingdom under an ethic of survival of the fittest? You can't.
1: Yeah, it just reduces to power and the manipulation of society through various means of power without any check on the power, without any... Transcendent moral standard. So it comes back ultimately to the existence of a just God, the fear of God, and then who are human beings in this world? And the Christian perspective neither exalts us too much nor abases us too much. It says we are damaged goods, you know, to use Pascal's phrase, we're like deposed kings. We are kings over creation, but we have been deposed. We're east of Eden. We were. We're now under the sun to use the phrase from Ecclesiastes that comes so often, but we're still loved by God and we bear human rights, whatever our skin color, whatever talents, abilities, whatever age, whether we're in the womb or out of the womb, whether we are productive members of society, quote unquote, or on our last leg, we're made in the image and likeness of God. And as such, we should be treated with dignity and respect.
2: We were talking earlier about Oz Guinness so much and you quote his golden triangle of freedom, which I've had that on. I've got a whiteboard in my office uh, slash classroom and it's like six foot wide by four feet tall and I've got little quotes all over it. And Oz Guinness's triangle of freedom is at the very top of it. Freedom requires virtue and virtue requires So speak to us about how freedom emanates from those kinds of the virtue, which at the heart of it is faith. We can't really have freedom without the faith that our Christian worldview provides.
1: Right. Well, the issue with freedom is freedom from what and freedom for what? Mm. So in America today, we often think of freedom just as actualizing our desires, especially our erotic desires. But we have to say Yes, we should have a liberty as citizens, but freedom should not be licensed to sin, right? Sin is uh, not good for any society, especially when sin becomes codified into law, as it has been in so many ways in the United States. So freedom from what? Well, freedom from selfishness, freedom from vice, and freedom for what? Well, not just freedom for the actualization of my desires or the ability to make money and have property, we should be free to pursue those ends, but freedom for loving our neighbor and loving God. So our faith perspective, which I think is really knowledge of God, shows us where we need to limit ourselves. You know, what a concept. Deny yourself. (laughs) Deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me, Jesus said. But that's actually the way of freedom, Because you say no to all kinds of things that are ungodly, sinful, and unhelpful for society, particularly sexual sins, but greed and all the rest of it. And then you say yes to what is good, namely promoting and defending the gospel, seeking the common good, loving your children, being generous in your giving, being a productive member of your church. So freedom, when it's abstracted from the fear of God and biblical teaching, can actually undo freedom you know, Oz says the great enemy of freedom is freedom. So Mm. if you have freedom, and you're trying to live in a moral vacuum, and your own desires become the bottom line and the last word, then that just leads to chaos and to tyranny, ultimately, Mm -hmm. because when people have no sense of restraint, and no sense of what is right and wrong, then eventually they have to be corralled and controlled from the top down. So you know, anarchies don't last very long. Usually some tyranny will come in to impose its will on the anarchy. Exactly. And, you know, the American system, I think, is a great balance of of form and freedom, you know, of the Uh freedom of the individual and then the larger form of a constitutional republic where we have rights, we have responsibilities, and we have limits as well.
2: Ah, yes. That is so true. What you're saying about usually a totalitarian regime does come in after anarchy and imposes its will. I heard an interview, I think his forget is it his last name is Desmond. Have you read The Psychology of Totalitarianism? I have it on my bookshelf. It's up pretty close. Um I've he read spoke a on my, it. Yeah. yeah I don't know that he's a believer, but he's really fascinating. Goodness, so much to unpack there. But I love how you talk about the Christian. Well, first of all, we were talking, I think, in the last episode, these other worldviews, these ideologies, what do they produce? And they produced, you said, over a 100 million, like the communist Marxist ideology Mm -hmm. that was so prolific in the 20th century produced over a 100 million deaths. A 100 million. And I know a lot of people will criticize some things in the Christian faith and some places where Constantine and perhaps the Inquisition and Salem witch trials and things like that. But I've heard Dr. John Lennox speak on this. These are not comparable in terms of the damage. Yes. Has Christianity uh, been errant in some instances where it went off the rails and where people tried to advance the cause of the cross in a militant way? Unfortunately, yes. Now, were they truly, was that true Christianity? I don't believe so. But when you look at where this godless ideology of Marxism and neo-Marxism, which is represented in critical race theory that you talk about in your book, when you see where that went, 100 million dead in the 20th century, that's terrifying to think of. And this is underlying an ideology that is being sold to our kids as equality. And now we've advanced beyond equality. Now we need equity, not equality. But this idea of equality, I think it burns in our hearts. We want freedom. We want to be free. We want liberty. But we can use our liberty can be used to destroy the very thing we want. I love that quote from Mm -hmm. Oz. Freedom is a great enemy of freedom.
1: Yeah.
2: So how then do we advance the idea of the Christian worldview humbly as a solution to the problem that we have of racism in our country the problems that we have towards achieving true equality?
1: Well, there's certainly a lot to do. I've for many, many years emphasized the importance of education. Mm -hmm. Now, I've been an educator. I've been a teacher of adults my whole life. And in God's providence, I didn't have children. But it is so significant that parents take responsibility for the education of their children and not think that the state has that responsibility or will discharge that responsibility in the right way. I've been an advocate, actually, of homeschooling Mm -hmm. and private schooling for over 40 years. And I wrote an article back in 1982 about why Christian parents should not send their children to state schools and why they should have them in private Christian schools or in homeschooling, because every subject is taught from a perspective, in even chemistry, even astronomy, is taught from a perspective, from a worldview. And- The default perspective for public education in the United States is naturalism. It's not that God created and designed and sustained the universe or God has inspired the scripture. You might get a lot of facts in state education. That's even negotiable. I mean, that's questionable now with the lessening of achievement in the state schools. But this is really significant. and You have to look down the road a ways, not just can we get our person elected? Okay, maybe we can. Can we pass this pro-life law? We did good. That's terrific. But you got to think down the road, 20, 30, 40 years, you have to think about, first of all, handing the Christian faith to the next generation, because that's the most important thing, is finding peace with God through Jesus Christ, whatever your cultural, political situation is. But then also, Jesus in Matthew 5 said that we need to be salt and light. Jeremiah said to seek the welfare of the city where God has placed you. So we need to be teaching our children from day one what the Bible teaches, the Christian worldview, how to defend the Christian worldview, the truth about history and about chemistry and biology and all the rest of it that is so significant. And some parents think that they can send their children to state schools and just ask them after school, well, what did you learn today? And spend five minutes on that. And it could be they have learned a lot of things that are not true. They may have learned that Darwinism is the best way to explain life, which is not the case. They now especially may have been taught a lot of woke ideology, Mm
2: -hmm. which
1: pits people against each other, which undermines the American system. So I think that is extremely significant. And of course, you have followed that charge quite well with all of your children, and God bless you for doing that. I think we need more Christians to say, we need to focus on Christian education, homeschooling, private schooling, you know, and thank God for the faithful Christians in the state schools, but the odds are against them, and the odds are against children in state schools because they are not just educated, they are quite often indoctrinated, and they're indoctrinated according to a false worldview.
2: Mm-hmm. You mentioned in the book that over 4,000 schools, I believe, are teaching the 1619 Project, which is factually incorrect, They're so, and obviously ideologically incorrect, but literally factually incorrect. So the fact that that is being taught in state schools across the country is very concerning, should be very concerning. And like you said, five minutes after a long day of school, when your kids have been there for eight hours, listening to other, no matter what subject it is, that it's coming from a naturalistic worldview, that should be deeply concerning. And I understand I truly do believe that parents who are concerned about this, who cannot find a way to educate their kids in another way, just to be praying about the solution that God has for your family, because I believe he does have a solution for everyone. But that is deeply, deeply concerning. One of my favorite passages of Scripture that I've committed to memory is Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 through 21, where God is speaking to fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds and to tie them as symbols on your hands and to bind them on your foreheads, uh, talking about them as you sit at home and as you walk along the road, as you lie down and as you get up, to write them on the doorframes of your houses. And that's something we have over the doorframe of our house. We have put Psalm 91 to write them on the doorframes of your houses, talking about them that as we fix these words. That he is faithful. I pressed that no matter what comes, that the words that I've planted in my children, those seeds will not return void. I pray over them every day, that those words that I've planted in their heart, the word of God, we've memorized a lot of scripture. You were talking at the beginning of this episode about truth. John, verse 18, 31, when we're talking about Jesus standing before Pilate, Mm -hmm. it's 1827, I think. He says to Pilate, those iconic words, for this reason I was born, for this purpose I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Truth is so critically important. And as parents, we need to be planting that in our kids. So speak to us in the closing moments, how you think that we can plant that truth into the next generation, because from that truth is the only place that basis of faith will bring us virtue and will bring us freedom, the freedom of equality that we want our children define, and we want our culture to have that freedom. But too often, I'm afraid, like you said, we are using our freedom
1: <laughs> yeah. in
2: such a way that it's actually a free people's suicide, as Oz Guinness would say. Yeah,
1: right. Well, a lot of it, I think, has to do with how we handle these technologies, particularly social mm. media, because yeah. children can be so affected, and their parents not even know what's going on. So I have, uh, as I said, I don't have children, but I do have four. Godchildren who are all the ages of what would be my grandchildren. And I was talking to the father of my three goddaughters about their philosophy of media. And he said, well, we, their girls are, I think five, three and four months. And he said, well, we really don't have them in front of screens at all. We might watch one film together as a family every three days and we pre screen that. And he said, we're not going to let them have cell phones until they're 16. So, something like that. So I think having wise boundaries, because you can inculcate truth with your family, have family devotions, attend church, go to Sunday school, and all that is non-negotiable. But a lot of that could be undone with half an hour of unregulated social media. Oh, yes. Because you can find the most hideously horrible things about gender transitions and Satan worship and all the rest of it on social media unless you have Those filters up. And unless you present something better, richer, more wholesome, truer, then children will go in that direction, as will adults. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of Americans are what I call well-informed, hyperactive ignoramuses. Mm
2: -hmm. You know, they're
1: well-informed and that they've got all these facts or factoids in their head, images from tweets and Instagram and all the rest of it, Facebook. But do they have a well-worked out worldview? Mm. Probably not. Do they know anything about America or the Declaration, the Constitution, American history, the three branches of government, why we have three branches of government, etc? This is another issue, but why we have the electoral college? Oh
2: oh yes, I wrote on that.
1: Good for you. That's big. Yeah, a lot of people have no idea why we have that and why it's a good idea to have that.
2: Exactly, because there are arguments for that that sound really convincing to go back to, you know, just a popular vote. But the Electoral College is really protective of the individuals in the smaller states and particularly rural areas. That's right. one thing that I wrote exactly. about because you. otherwise we're going to be ruled and dominated by what happens in the capitals, in the urban areas and all of the uh, the yeah. suburban concerns or really the rural concerns who, <laughs> yeah. heck, they grow our food, right? <laughs> Their concerns aren't going to rise to the top. Yeah. So, yeah, the Electoral College is critically important. My kids actually, uh, by the way, had to debate that. Oh, good! And their homeschool curriculum, they had to debate, and they had to take both sides, you know, because yeah. that's the way you need to do a debate. But I think we were all utterly convinced that the electoral college is still yeah. very vital and necessary. Yeah. Some former presidents may not know that, but <laughs> <laughs> or current because, presidents, or, oh, certainly current yeah. presidents, but even former presidents that we may or may not have voted for don't seem to know that. <laughs> but yeah, electoral, well, you know.
1: I think it really comes down to knowledge. Yes. And knowledge is justified true belief. So we should have knowledge about the most important things. We should have, obviously, the knowledge of God. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of Scripture and the knowledge of American history. And why do we have an electoral college? Why do we have three branches of government? What is the concept of a citizen in the United States? Why is it not wise to just let millions upon millions of people into the country who are not citizens? Why is that? So... We need the knowledge of God. We need the knowledge of the things that matter most. And we need to take that very seriously in the church, in the home, in the schools, everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the knowledge of what is good and true and beautiful is the best way to challenge the falsehoods about religion and society and the human condition and everything else. And my whole adult life, I've been a, a teacher and a writer and a preacher, so I just keep Cranking out the books and hoping that they will do some good. And I appreciate you having me on to talk about this book, Fire in the Streets.
2: Yes, I appreciate you writing it. I wanted to end with a quote that you have on page 179, which talks about Christian activism as opposed to sexual or activism It's rooted in our love of God and it's rooted in our love of others. You say, quote, by this God oriented and spirit sustained love, people will know that Christian advocacy and activism is not the commotion of another special interest group. It is not the machinations of a pressure group. It is not the agitation of malcontents hankering for a shouting or a shooting match. It does not attack police stations, courthouses or political capitals. It does not confuse the cross. With the flag, it does not yell insults at school board meetings. It does not burn down anything. It does not threaten officers. It does not hurl insulting epithets. Love may walk a dark and lonely road, but it is the right road. That is what we're called to, is it not? To walk the road of Mm -hmm. love and our civic responsibilities and our parenting responsibilities across the board were to walk the road of love.
1: Can I say amen to my own quote? (laughs)
2: Yes, you may. You should. I'll say say amen, amen, a hearty amen. Thank you so much, Dr. Groteis, for spending uh, so much time with us in the CPCW audience. You are a treasure to the body of Christ. And your book, Fire in the Streets, How You Can Confidently Respond to Incendiary Cultural Topics, is a must read. I highly, highly recommend it. I know that this book is is one I'm gonna go back to year after year to learn the significance of what the Christian faith has offered to our country and to the world. Please tell our listeners where they can get a copy of the book and where they can learn more about you and your amazing podcast, True Tribe.
1: Yes, my book is certainly available from Amazon and I have a webpage called Douglasgrotheist.com. You can find all kinds of free materials there, links to articles, videos. There's also an essay about various seminars and talks I could give at your church or organization. So that's a good place to go, douglasgrotheis.com. Also, I have this uh, weekly podcast called Truth Tribe, which is put out by Life Audio. And the format that I use for that is pretty straightforward. I just talk about a subject for 15 to 20 minutes. I don't have guests at this point. So recently I did one on standpoint epistemology, which we talked about in a previous show. And I've done a lot on apologetics, Jesus and Islam, Jesus and the New Age. I've talked about why I think Christians should be politically conservative. So we release them once a week. The first one was last November. And so far, we haven't missed a week. So I'm hoping those will benefit people.
2: I have listened to them. They are awesome. I love your intro music, by the way. You're a jazz fan. I love jazz. (laughs) So that's so great. Thanks again for joining us, Dr. Groteis. Go and get yourself some master's level instruction there over at Truth Tribe. It's for free. Usually you have to pay for that kind of instruction and you can get it for free at Truth Tribe. I love your show and I love your books. Mm -hmm. And thank you again for joining us. I hope you'll come back in the future. I would love to talk to you about the American Creed. Maybe we can do that Mm -hmm. next year, maybe near the 4th of July or something. I'd
1: love to do that. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: Okay, so five minutes, I kid you not, five minutes after we recorded this episode, Dr. CroTice messaged Oz Guinness and myself in a joint email and recommended that he come on CPCW. What a guy. Oz and I had that interview late last year, and it will be up next on Christian Parent Crazy World. To set the stage in this episode, Dr. Grotai showed us how the Christian faith is necessary for the virtue of equality to exist in the world. In the next few episodes, Oz will show us how the Christian faith and the Christian God are necessary for freedom to exist and the world. I love how those fit together. It is a fascinating conversation on what I consider to be one of the most important books ever written. The Magna Carta of Humanity is a must read for everyone. Written by Oz Guinness, one of the greatest minds in the world today. (laughs) Not gonna lie, I was a little bit starstruck. Talking to Oz is like talking to an encyclopedia, So much wisdom and truth and clarity and even prophecy. Mm -hmm. You don't want to miss that conversation. I want to thank you for joining me today. Look, I know there are a lot of things you could be listening to right now. And I really appreciate that you took this time to spend with me. I hope you will join me for my next podcast when we take aim at some aspect of our culture that threatens to derail our parenting and steal our kids' faith. If you enjoyed this episode of Christian Parent Crazy World, would you consider telling a friend and sharing it on social media and giving it a good review over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and following me on Facebook and Instagram? Oh, oh, and maybe you could say that Christian Parent Crazy World is the best podcast you've ever heard in your entire life. Uh, Just a thought. Uh, And be sure to check out my website, which is katherinesegers.com. That's Catherine with a C. I have lots of articles and resources there that will help you on your parenting journey. And if you subscribe, I will be sure to send you some really cool free stuff and notify you of future podcasts, articles, and blogs. I want to end this and every episode with a word of encouragement. God gave you your kids, your specific kids for a reason. That's because you hold the key to unlocking who God
0: created them to be. We'll see you next time. Christian Parent, Crazy World is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life.